Welcome to Bible Greek Depod's Intermediate Greek Program. This is Lesson 15. In this lesson, you will learn the indicative mood and then look at 1 John chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. First, let's look at mood. Mood is that aspect of the verb that expresses the action in reference to reality. The word mood comes to the English from the Latin modus, meaning a measure, a standard of measure, and speaks of the mode, way, or manner in which the action occurs. There are four moods in the Greek. The indicative expresses the action as really taking place. The subjunctive expresses the action as potentially taking place. The optative, it's very rare, but it expresses the action as a wish. It is potential, but weaker than the subjunctive. And the imperative, which expresses a command. It should be noted that the mood expresses the action in in relation to reality. Whether an objective fact or not is not the point but rather how the matter is conceived. Dana and Manti express this uh, really well. They, They write, In the expression of the verbal idea, it is necessary to define its relation to reality. That which has, will, or does now exist, for instance, it is possible to present the thoughts of a child running without affirming either the fact of its running of his running in present past or future or the possibility of his running to say the child runs places the statement in the first category to say if the child runs presents the second did you catch that the child runs that's a statement of fact if the child runs is a statement of possibility First, let's look at the indicative mood. The indicative is the declarative mood, expressing the assertion of certainty and expresses the action as if it were in reality. The word indicative comes to the English from the Latin indicare, meaning to make known, to show, or to indicate. The first use of the indicative is the declarative indicative. The most common usage of the indicative is the declarative. It's also referred to as a statement of fact. For example, John 1.1, this wonderful statement of fact. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The verb was is in the indicative mood, and in the beginning was the Word. It declares it. Declarative indicative. Next, there is the interrogative indicative. When the speaker wants to ask a simple question and expect a declarative indicative in the answer, that's what an interrogative indicative is. The interrogative indicative is often found with the interrogative particle I. An example is Matthew 27:11. And Jesus stood before the governor, 
And the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, It is as you say. So, are you the king of the Jews? was the question. The interrogative indicative. The speaker wants to ask a simple question expecting a declarative indicative with the answer. So Jesus says, it is as you say. Next we have the cohortive indicative. The future indicative is sometimes used to express a command. For example, James 2 verse 8. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. That's the cohortive indicative. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's another example in 1 Peter 1, verse 16. Because it is written, here's the cohortive indicative, be holy because I am holy. Be holy is that cohortive indicative. Next, we have the potential indicative. At times, the indicative is used to express some form of potential action. We have three types in this category. First is the indicative of obligation. When the indicative is used with the verbs die, that's the, the verb for it is necessary, or othelo, I ought to, the meaning is one of obligation. For example, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 11, Behold, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It's really just in the indicative mood. We also ought to love one another. The second type in this category is the indicative of wish. When the indicative is used with verbs of volition, the thelo, uh, the I wish or, or I, I would that, o thelon, the meaning is one of desire or wish. That's easy, right? An example is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32. But I wish you to be free from worry. There it is. I wish you to be free from worry. That's the indicative of wish. It's used uh, with a thelo. The third type is the indicative of condition. When the indicative is used in either a first or second class condition, the idea is one of condition. For example, John chapter 11 verse 21. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now let's move to our text for the day. So I hope you've gone to the website and got the uh, detailed analysis. And let's take a look at this. I have titled this section, Followers of God and Followers of the Devil. John in this section gives us the difference between the two and helps us identify the two groups of people, the uh, children of God versus the children of the devil. So it starts out, by this is the children of God and the children of de the devil manifested. 
a simple statement of fact, but it's very, very complex. In this section, we find John introduces the outworking of the spiritual condition. The contrast between the child of God and the child of the devil is presented by the prominent words of love and abiding, abiding in eternal life, that is contrasted with murder, hatred, and death. John links a murder to a spiritual condition using Cain's murder of his brother as an illustration of how sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. <laughs> he doesn't list that here, but that just screams out from Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. This is a lesson of hatred that is left unchecked for an extended period of time leads to misery. It builds up overtaking the individual as it grows in intensity to the point where it must exhibit itself. It will be manifested. Let's take a look at the first verse. Verse 10. By this is the children of God and the children of the devil manifested. This is called the evidence of the divine sonship. That is the human brotherhood. One is known by what one says and does. One is either a follower of God and hence says and does the things of God, or he is a follower of the devil. The prepositional phase in tuto, in this, identifies the method by which that by which is the instrumental case. One can see and identify the source one follows. The adjective is placed at the head of the phrase and is the plural of phaneros. It manifests or appears or known and comes from the verb phanero, to bring forth into the light or to appear. The adjective is distributed to the two distinct groups. That is to say, the importance of the phrase is found in how to identify the source by observing the difference between the two groups and by what a person says and does. The plural of paneros points to the two groups as they are very different manifestations. One could translate, by this is the manifested ones, the children of God and the children of the devil. You see how clumsy that is? It just doesn't translate into English very well. Two contrasting characteristics identify the person. The characteristics are visibly seen as one. That is, one commits lawlessness and one does not practice righteousness. In essence, sin and unrighteousness are synonymous. Sin is to miss the mark, to do unrighteousness, whereas righteousness is the character or quality of the revealed will of God of things that are just and true. Perhaps we most often think of sin as wrongdoing or transgression of God's law. Sin includes a failure to do what is right, but sin also offends people. It is violence and lovelessness toward other people and ultimately rebellion against God. Chapter 3 
places lawlessness and sin into the category of lovelessness. That is to say, in the sense that sin is an active violation of the love commandment given by God to man, as a result, God places a legal aspect in one's position. A child of God is declared righteous. The legal act of God declaring a person legally acquitted. This is a legal act giving a verdict of righteousness. The grounds for the verdict have always been the same. One is declared righteous by faith just as by faith Abraham was declared righteous by the grace of God. Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness. In the dispensation of the church, both Jew and Gentile trust in the shed blood of Jesus on the cross and on that ground is the child of God justified. This is the good news of Christ. And being saved from the punishment to come means we have a new life, a new identity, and with our new identity, a new family and a new way of life. The verb I me is singular, pointing to the method. By this is known. The subjects are found in the common word technon, offspring. The singular is almost universally translated as a plural, are. But the sense is better understood by the singular demonstrative that points to the method of identification. In other words, sin and unrighteousness are seen as one, and it is through observation that the two groups are identified. This identification of a child of theos, child of God, actually the definite article is there, so the God speaks of a genitive, a source, or origin, and the metaphor technon is used to mean one is a possession, and hence possesses an attribute of their progenitor. So it is that the two groups are distinguished. The son of God and the son of the diablos, the devil, should be identifiable. The next phrase, whosoever is not doing righteousness is not from God and whosoever is not loving his brother. This statement answers the question, how does one know one is not God? The answer is, anyone not actively performing what is righteous is not from God. And moreover, loving one's brother or sister in Christ is tightly related to what is righteous. Abiding in Christ in his word has an active influence on the person and the result of love and fellowship with both God and the brethren. This is the result of chapter 2, verse 25. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. The subject is the adjective pas. It's the nominative singular case. Everyone. And most older translations use whosoever. The negative may, not, modifies the participle poeo, the present active participle, nominative masculine singular, and it has the definite article, often translated, the one that is doing righteousness. 
This is a person who continues to act this way. The word didakasune, righteousness, is used here in a broad sense, meaning the state of one who is as he ought to be, namely, in a condition acceptable to God. How does one become acceptable to God? By believing God sent his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The use of the two negatives is significant as they point out the negative condition where a child of God is not. That is, uk estin ek tu theu. He is not from God. And further, that's the Kai, this person is not ha me agapon ton adelphon atu, one that currently loves his brother. The participle with the definite article of agapeo, the present active particle, nominative, masculine, singular, with definite article, it speaks of one that is currently not loving his brother. That is the present tense speaks of a person who is characterized right now as one that has no love for his brother. The metaphoric use of the object of the phrase, Adelphos, the brother, means those who are in the church, as the definite article points out, their unique association. This person is in the church, but is described as hating those in the church. This person does not act the part, but rather stands out as one who hates his brothers and sisters in Christ. You, you will know this person. This is his characteristic. It is hard to love some people in the church sometimes, but we are to love our brother, even our enemies. This is the unique mark of the Christian. Let's move to verse 11. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. John reminds them of the command previously given. That command has now turned to motivation for loving the brother as the subjunctive. We might love is used. This phrase is introduced with a hati clause, for, uh, introducing an objective clause after verbs of knowing, saying, and seeing. The fact concerns the message that has been consistent all along as the present tense is used with the demonstrative pronoun is feminine matching the word message. The message, angola, with the definite article is the nominative feminine singular. The message, the announcement, or the proclamation was heard at some point in the past as the aorist of a kuo is used. To hear, this message further points to the past and is consistent with the prepositional phase ap erkas, from the beginning. There is nothing new presented here. The command to love was there from the start. The next clause is a purpose clause, exhorting the reader to act. Hena agapo men ale los. That we should love one another. The henna with the subjunctive of agape, agape o, that's that subjunctive, present active subjunctive, we might love communicates a strong exhortation. 
Since there is no first person imperative, the first person plural is used with the subjunctive and the result is like an imperative and is usually translated, let us love one another. That's an exhortation. Notice John includes himself in this exhortation and enhances the use of the reciprocal ale alone, one another. John means to tell the believer in the church that there are enemies of the church active in the church, but that we are to love them anyway. That is our defense against the devil. God's word plus agape love serves as an adequate defense. What is agape love? It is a giving love where God's word of truth is cherished and spoken in love, suffering long, is kind, does not envy, is not puffed up, but rejoices in the truth, not sin. That's the message of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4-7. through seven. It is the business of the believer to love the brethren in truth. Remember, hatred stirs up strife. Do you remember this proverb? Hatred stirs up strife. But love covers all sins. It's Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. Listen to Proverbs chapter 15, verses 1 to 2. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. Uh, love is a very central point of this book. We must heed that love aspect. Let's move on to verse 12. Not as Cain, he was from the evil one, and he slaughtered his brother. John provides an example by referring to an Old Testament story of Cain and Abel of Genesis chapter 4. The apostle moves from the description of the devil in the garden to the first description of sin involving the offspring of Adam and Eve. The description here is a contrast of two types of worship. Cain does not bring an acceptable offering and becomes upset when God calls him on it. As a result, he murders his brother. Cain's actions are unrighteous and linked to the wicked one. The contrast is one of a progenitor or of a type. The type is Greek meaning patterned after a person or a thing. That's how John is using this here. So the type of the devil versus the type of God is what is what is being examined here. The illustration is stunning in its depth. First, John gives an illustration of biological brothers. The idea of one brother murdering another of the same flesh and blood is shocking enough. But if that can happen between biological brothers, how much more easily would it be for a Christian brother? This emphasizes the deep spiritual hold that sin and the devil can have on a person. The intense influence he can have upon a situation as he seeks to destroy Christian fellowship, especially churches. Saved people can oftentimes exhibit the same characteristics as the unsaved. The message continues from the previous verse and answers the question, how do we love one another? The response is, u kathos ken, 
Not like Cain. The negative, ooh, is used in direct questions expecting an affirmative answer. But in this sense, no question is directly asked. But the absolute negative is still used. The simile, kathos, uh, even as or like, describes the nature of the action that results from not truly loving another. That is, there does not seem to be a middle ground in God's love. One either loves or hates the brethren. The reaction of Cain is linked to the wicked one, the devil, as the adjective poneros, uh, the evil one or the wicked one, is the leader of the kingdom of evil. In fact, the Greek moves the action of Cain from a past completed act to a past progressive event by use of the imperfect of I me. That is to say, a lack of godly love has always and will continue to result in a reaction like Cain's. Though maybe not to the extreme of physical harm that Cain did, but murder in the heart is still a sin and seen as evil. Notice what Paul says. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this same. Namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to the neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. That's what Romans chapter 13 verse 9 through 10 says. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Love does no harm to the neighbor. Well, the reaction of Cain is expressed in the aorist as a one-time event in history by the word sprazo, to slay or to slaughter or butcher, and means to put to death by violence. In fact, this is a simple, complete statement of fact. He slaughtered his brother. The spiritual fruit of true worship results in a right attitude. But when the right attitude is not present and the child of God is corrected, the result should be repentance on the part of the believer. This is the method of getting right with God and is seen as being an appropriate offering. Confessing the wrong, turning away from that sin, this is the acceptable offering for the Christian. The child of the devil will not bring an appropriate offer, offering, and when corrected, will produce evil fruit, unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. You get nauseous from all the bad fruit that Romans chapter 1 verses 29 through 30 give you. The use of sprazo highlights the sin due to the sacrificial contrast between the two offerings. The word has to do with the sacrificial slitting of the throat and is only used here in the book of Revelation. Let's move on to the next phrase. And why did he kill him? Because his works were evil, but his brothers righteous. The translators have to change the singular verb was to a plural were to make this read well in the English. But notice how the verb points 
to the collective works of the person. That is how we are known. Not only by who it is that we know and worship, that is Jesus who came in the flesh, but we also acknowledge what he did in the flesh on our behalf and our knowledge and love for him is reflected in our deeds. When we bring our free will offering, we should do so in a manner that is sincere and true. This results in true worship. That is why John points out the Old Testament story of Cain and Abel. The Old Testament stories serve as examples to us today for what not to do and what to do. John brings up an example of worship that is pre-Mosaic, the free will offering before the law was even formalized. What is the result of the fall of Genesis chapter 3? The evil works of the devil also moves to the heart of the world. The fruit of the wicked one is envy, strife, evil suspicions, lust, hate. First Timothy goes on and on. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 4. John continues his argument, saying, Indeed, on account of which, where the adverb keren tinos, where the adverb keren, for the sake of, or on account of, and the pronoun tis, uh, that or which, is usually translated for what reason or why, and gives us the reason, or rather the result clause, the result of being aligned with the devil. The verb sprazo, aorist active indicative third person singular, to slay or kill, speaks of the single act of Cain that resulted from the fruit of Cain's source. That is to say, wickedness produces wickedness. Wickedness cannot produce kindness and mercy unless the Holy Spirit transforms that person, breaking the bondage of sin and the devil reconciling one to the one, the true one, who is good, full of mercy and righteous. Does this mean that an unsaved person cannot show mercy? Of course, an unsaved person can show mercy. However, this reaction has to do with the true God and a true response to the true God. This serves to demonstrate a difference between the wicked one and the righteous one. This section intends to help the true Son of God recognize those in the church that manifest love for the brethren versus those in the church that manifest hatred for the brethren. This contrast is related by John to an actual murder that happened in history to a biological brother. This event moves to the metaphor as the brethren are not brothers from the same father, but brothers and sisters in a common belief of who Christ is and what he did on the cross. Likewise, murder moves from the removal of physical life to hatred and the removal of genuine love and fellowship. That's what's happening in the church that John's in. This metaphor, however, has a common result as the Hati Clause brings out that the Aragon, that's the nominative plural, and it has a definite article. The works or the deeds are panaras, evil. Notice the plural subject and the accompanying adjective, evil works. 
They're placed with a singular verb, I me. It's an imperfect. It was. Expressing the collective nature and unity of the works of Cain with the wicked one. Did you get that? They're aligned. The plural works associated with this one act of murder gives us insight into what it was that was so wrong with Cain's offering. Cain's offering was not like his brother's. The Greek screams out this fact in the grammar as the contrastive conjunction day, but, is used. It contrasts Cain's works with the works of his Adelphos, his brother. Abel's works were didakes, righteous or just. The adjective righteousness is placed all by itself at the end of the sentence. It is as if the author wants to highlight the contrast between the two types of works. There is a separation between that which is evil and that which is righteous. And the picture is made of a straight line where evil is at one end of the line and righteousness at the other. The difference is black and white, darkness versus light. This is the same thing Paul addresses in his letter to the churches. In Titus chapter 3, verse 11, he writes this, Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement. I love the way Paul does this. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. You see, Paul is exhorting that church also. Same problem in Paul's church as in John's church. He goes on to say, These things are good and profitable for men, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. Ooh! You see, Paul put that in that last sentence, what John is talking about. Reject this person. After what? A first and second warning. Give them a couple of chances knowing that such a man is perverted and sinning. Uh, call them on it. They continue in their hatred, have nothing to do with them. Reject them. Let's move on to verse 13. Do not marvel, my brothers, if the world hates you. It should be no surprise to those that belong to God that the world hates them. Since the world is under the powerful spell of the devil, so it is that John places the imperative at the head of the phrase instead of the vocative brothers. The negative may, no, modifies the imperative 
te mazo, it's a present active imperative. To wonder, to marvel. Making this a prohibition of a question they did not ask. John says, when you experience hatred from the world, not if. The strong pleading is found in the noun of address. The call of the vocative of Adelphos, brothers, that John aligns with them as he adds the genitive of ego, my brothers. The conditional particle I, if, points out their wonderment. But as Dr. Robinson adds, the present imperative here with may means cease wondering. The stress is placed upon the present active with mezzo. It's a present active indicative. To hate, pursue with hatred. As the world, the subject of this phrase, is placed at the end of the phrase. Even before the object you. That's just incredible. This is translated in its original placement something like this. Do not marvel, my brothers, if it hates you, the world. Move on to verse 14. We have known that we have passed over from death to life because we are loving the brethren. The argument goes something like this. Since we are born again, we have a new life in Christ. And as such, we possess a new nature to love as Christ has loved. At least that is the ideal. But the born again person still has the old self that can live fleshly. The devil can still get a foothold. But we have the ability to abide in Christ, which serves to protect the believer from the devil and not let him get a foothold. The fact is, the believer can and at times does exhibit the ungodly hatred of the old man. But as Paul describes it, we should put it off. We have known as emphatic as the personal pronoun is placed with the verb ido. It's a perfect active indicative, first person plural to see or to know. And it has the meaning in the perfect tense that we have the complete picture in the past and that knowledge continues to be there today. John is seeking to emphasize the completeness of their knowledge. They are equipped with all they need. They have the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to help them. The thing that is known is is hate, the conjunction that. We have passed from death to life. The perfect is again used for metabano, the perfect active indicative, first person plural, to pass over from one place to another, to remove, and means the action is complete, so that we have completely passed over from death to life. This transition is emphasized by the prepositions ek, from which highlights the point of separation. It's the ablative of separation. From thanaros, uh, it's the genitive uh, masculine singular with a definite article. Notice that definite article is there. Death, the death. We have been separated from death and the group that is dead. Those addressed here by John are those in the church. Those who are dead but have passed, the previous verb is perfect, Past, ice ton zoan into the life. Ice ton zoan into the life. This life is a particular life uh, as the definite article is added to zoe. 
This statement presents a proof text for the argument once saved, always saved. As the act of God in saving someone is a perfected act, a completed act. Do all those in the church possess eternal life? Of course not. That is the point of John's letter. That there are antichristos in the church causing division. And there are those who are saved who walk in darkness, making the devil's work easy. Both groups are influenced by the world. Both groups influenced by the word of God. But it is the Christian that possesses the Holy Spirit. And the world does not abide in the word. The idea of the definite article for life is not insignificant as it indicates that this new life as defined by Jesus starts at the point of conversion, at the point of passing from death to a new life that is everlasting. This new life is one that is characterized by both knowledge and deed. It is defined by love. The last phrase, because we are loving the brothers, forms the proof that one has life and is again given by a visible sign as an expression of one's love for the brethren. The conjunction hati is translated because and reflects the reason or the outward response to our new life experience. We should be characterized by a genuine agapeo, a present active indicative of a genuine love and in fact the present tense means we continue loving the Adelphos the brethren love for the brethren is the evidence that we belong to God oh how unloving some Christians can be at times but it is our responsibility to abide in Christ so the devil cannot get a foothold in the situation let's move on to the next phrase he who does not love the brother remains in death. Wow, that's a powerful statement. The argument continues by use of the present participle agapeo. The one that does not love, or one could say this person is known as someone who does not express love for his brethren. It is a habitual unlover. The singular of Adelphos with the definite article, the brother, is now used to narrow the argument to an individual. The previous plurals express the general principle. Now the focus is further narrowed. Most likely the meaning is to narrow the point down to one of self-examination. The one that does not love defines a specific characteristic or a definition of one that remains dead. The statement, if we, expresses self-examination to a general point. Whereas the statement, the one that does not love, defines a specific characteristic or a definition of one that remains dead. Do you have this characteristics? Are you known as a person that does not love a brother within the church? For some reason, any reason. Do you cause division and strife because of envy and hatred? That's the, self, that's the thing John wants to uh, have us examine our own self with. Someone might ask, when is hatred ever justified? Well, Scripture explains very clearly that hatred is an acceptable response to sin. 
You can find that in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9. But notice here, continuous hatred, as the present tense highlights, is not characteristic of the true child of God. The following proverb sheds some light on this. Proverbs chapter 16, verses 27 through 29 says this, An ungodly man digs up evil, and it is on his lips like a burning fire. A perverse man sows strife, and a whisperer separates the best of friends. A violent man entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. You get by this proverb the, the idea of the mouth and that idea of sin coming into the picture. We need to guard against that. Notice the use of the present tense for the person not loving his brother. He continues to remain in death. The verb meno, the present active indicative to remain, or when used with a state of being verb to abide in thanaros, with a definite article, the death, a specific death. This is a person that remains in a state of spiritual death, not born again, and as such does not and cannot pass over to life and a state of spiritual living. What a statement this is. John means to have each member of the church examine oneself and if found guilty of not loving a brother or sister, then it is urged that they get right with God, confess the sin, repent, and live a spirit-filled life. Of course, one who is not a true child of God will never examine himself because that is not in their character. For the things of God are foolishness to them that are not born again. The last verse, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Verse 15 narrows the focus of the hatred of verse 13. The world hates you to the hatred of the individual towards another. The world hates you because it hates God and his word. The world is made up of individuals, and some have moved into the church. John associates the love of the brethren with God and the hatred of the brother with the devil. Since the devil is their father, indeed a murderer from the beginning, the contrast is brought out in chapter 2 associating darkness with hatred and light with love. The association is now given of eternal life with love and death with hatred. The apostle starts the phrase with the normal universal whosoever, the singular adjective pos, everyone, which translators of the past have translated whosoever when used with a participle, thus becoming a beloved standard for a universal statement. Whosoever, uh, it, it has that, uh, that Old Testament uh, poetry to it. Whosoever miso, present active participle, with a definite article, hates or pursues with hatred, the brother of him is a manslayer. The word there is a, a, a manslayer, a murderer. The present participle with the definite article defines the person as one who is characterized by hatred. He, do, do you have a person in your church who is characterized by hatred? That's who we're talking about here. This hatred is directed towards the Adelphos, the brother of him. 
The metaphor used for brother is naturally meant to be those in the family of Christ, the church brethren. And the use of the adjective anthropokinosos, a manslayer, you heard the word man in there, and kinin, to kill, it links, this compound word links a, a, a real physical murder to a spiritual condition that leads to murder, as Cain is used as the prime example. Hatred that is left in the person for an extended period of time leads to no good. It builds up, overtaking the individual, growing in intensity to the point where it must exhibit itself in a visible manifestation. It produces bad fruit, even possibly leading one to physical murder. Wow. Move on to the next phrase. And you have known that every murderer does not have eternal life abiding in him. It is at this point that the high point of the argument is reached. The conjunction chi, and, or indeed, serves as a conclusion marker. The statement, and by the way, you know that, is what he means to say. The perfect tense of ido, perfect active indicative, second plural, to see or know, serves to remind them of the knowledge that every manslayer, every murderer, those who continuously hate, do not possess eternal life. The present tense of echo, to have or to possess, speaks of the current state of eternal life, or in this case, lack of eternal life. Notice John adds the participle of minnow, present active participle, remaining or abiding, to the end of the phrase. Eternal life is an abiding presence in the believer. It is as though eternal life continues in the person from the point of salvation and it continues to abide in the individual. The quality of that new life in Christ that abides in a man depends on how a man abides in Christ. That is the way it works. One might say this is the law of abiding. A born-again person possesses eternal life, but that person grows in time, maturing in Christ. But maturity depends upon one's abiding in God's word and yielding to his spirit. The family of God is in all stages of development, whether a child of God, a young lad, or a father. But they all must love the brethren because we are the family of God. This is the characteristics of the father of the son. In this case, the characteristics of the son of the devil is continuously not having eternal life. I hope you have enjoyed translating this section. Now go and translate the next section, chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, and come back for the next lesson.